Good morning, church. I'd like to um, extend a welcome. There's, there's a few visitors here this morning. It's always good to have people visiting with us that maybe have not been here before, and uh, family members um, that you've reached out and brought in other people with you. And we don't normally have a table up in front. Then again, we're only, what, a month or two into this building? So who knows? We could do anything, I guess, and you wouldn't know that it's new or not. Uh, but the flowers this morning uh, come uh, yesterday from uh, the funeral of uh, Lauren uh, Johnson, which would be uh, Julie Borton's father. And they wanted us to have a set and had a palm branch and they thought it would be fitting. It was like, absolutely. And so this morning those flowers are in memory of her father. And, and, um, and also this morning we have communion, as you can see. And I'm excited about that. Because we get to do something that Jesus did with his disciples. And we think back a couple thousand years ago to when he first did this, what it meant then and still today is so powerful. So today at the end of the service, we will be partaking of communion together. And, uh, and I hope and pray that as the service goes, that God just continues to speak in your heart and understand the, the importance of what we do and why we do it. And uh, we celebrate that together. Next week... Is what? Easter. Easter. Resurrection Sunday. We will have two services. You probably saw in the announcements. That's an exciting time. This is what Christianity is all about, people. Easter. I can't think of a better and easier time to invite somebody to come to be a part of a church service. So looking forward to next Sunday and what takes place as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, but before all that takes place, we need to back up with Palm Sunday. I think Pastor Landon, uh, as he shared about what Palm Sunday is. But let me ask you this question. What was your most, your most triumphant entry? Okay, think about that. Maybe you had to step on the stage for something. Maybe they called out your name and you were introduced for something. Think about your most triumphant ent- entry, okay? What was it? Or maybe it was your worst entrance ever, Okay. You ever try to make a good impression that first time? This is your big entrance, and you just want to make sure it's done right? You know, I'm, I'm sure it's hard to believe, but in middle school, I was in drama class. I know it's probably hard to believe. Okay, but I took center stage in the production 12 Angry Men and a few other short plays. My mom was so proud of me. I was looking at something the other day, and I can't believe this, okay? My mom was actually here last week. I don't know if any of you had a chance to meet her. I didn't point her out or embarrass her. Um... But you put a scrapbook together, um, like moms do, right? In the scrapbook, though, uh, under where I guess I was in some plays, she actually put the mustache in the scrapbook from the play. I don't know how she got it. I don't. It looks like a bad caterpillar. I. But I look at that, that's, but that's moms, right? Moms, you were so proud of your kids. I'm so thankful we didn't have Facebook back then. I am so thankful that we did not have Facebook back in the day, okay? But here's the thing. When I got to high school, I didn't pursue it in high school. I didn't do drama um, because, now you understand, I came from a large school, graduating class of 500. Our, our, that, that school now has graduating classes of over 1,000, okay? So there's all kinds of things you could be involved in. And again, back in those days, those years, um, we were very segregated in school. You were, you were in classifications. You were little groups. There was the jocks, the freaks, the canaries. That's the choir. 
the band, and they had a name too, but I won't say that. And there's a few other things. I mean, they had cliches names for everything, right? Now, I'm, I'm sure we're not allowed to do it because we don't bully today, right? But every high school in here knows that there's still these cliches and these groups that are still you're part of or not a part of, right? And so because I was in sports and athletics and I was in choir, I wouldn't want to be in drama because drama, the people in, that were actors and actresses and, and drama, they were a little different. And I didn't want to classify myself with them. High, high school life, right? Okay. But two weeks before the school play, the um, director came to me and said, listen, production's in two weeks. Our lead can no longer be here. I, and he didn't tell me why. He said, can you take the lead? Two weeks to learn the role for the lead in a school production? Uh, okay, I took it on. Agatha Christie, it was a murder mystery. Um, well, that opening night... Parents, grandparents, close friends, because, again, it was a huge school. They did just sort of an in-house only for a large number of people before they actually opened it to the public. That night, my first entrance, okay, school production, main lead role, whatever. I'm supposed to go through these French doors. It's my, my, my entrance, my grand entrance. And as I walked up to those French doors, I went to push. Now, mind you, two weeks of practicing and all this stuff going on at play practice. We never had the doors on, the hinges. We just walked through. So this is the first night that actually the doors were on the hinges. So I'm like, I couldn't get in, and I'm supposed to be on center stage. And I couldn't get in. I push, and I, and I don't know what was in me, but um, a little Samsonite-like reaction, offensive lineman-like reaction. I don't know what it was. But I pushed and pushed the doors right off the hinge, and they busted, and they went forward. Nobody told me that French doors... Open, cool, right? Cool. I was thinking they're they're broke, they're locked. So the door went flying. That was my grand entrance. Okay, it was not so grand. Um, it was a, it was actually a little embarrassing. And once again, I'm so thankful we did not grow up in this smartphone era. Oh, posting that one, right? Very thankful for that. But here's the thing: when I think about this Palm Sunday. It's the ultimate triumphant entrance. It's the ultimate grand entrance. When Jesus Christ came riding into Jerusalem, there are many who probably are unsure about the meaning of Palm Sunday today. I don't know if we did a survey, would do a survey, go across America and ask people, what's Palm Sunday all about? And people are like, I don't know, it's the Sunday before Easter. They maybe know something about palm branches. But they would maybe not know the meaning or where it originated. And there's nothing in the Bible referencing as a good friend of mine who's a missionary. He always used to, every Palm Sunday, tell the church, hey, look at the person next to you and give him a high five. Palm Sunday, right? He just got the biggest kick out of that. But you know, some of you know, it's like, I stopped doing that because I thought you didn't get a kick out of it anymore. But some people, you think about this, we celebrate that way today, don't we? When you're at an event... You stand up, you cheer, you throw your arms up in your, you're high-fiving the people next to you. That's celebration, right? Now picture this, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. There were no high-fives, no fireworks, there were, there were no uh, confetti falling down as a parade, as a championship you would probably see. Instead, biblical times, 
the people gathered for something like a patriotic parade, but instead they took their outer garments, they took the palm branches, and they would lay them down on the path for which the king would be coming in on. This moment, these palm branches, a sign of Jewish nationalism. The palm branches were also part of a procession that preceded the rededication of the temple. The palm branches were also on coins <clears throat> struck by the Judean insurgents during the first and second revolt against Rome. Palm branches had so much significance and meaning behind it, we wouldn't fully understand. But in that day, it meant something big. The king is coming. When we celebrate Palm Sunday, we're, we're commemorating what's commonly called that triumphant entry. Jesus rides in on the donkey, right? Triumphant entry because in Matthew 21.4, and the scripture will come up on the screen, Matthew 21.4, it's prophesied, which actually came from Zechariah. In Zechariah 9.9, it says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Now, author Moore said this, the donkey was not normally used by a warlike person. It was the animal of a man of peace, a priest, a merchant, or the like. It might also be used by a person of importance, but in connection with peaceable purposes. A conqueror would ride into the city on a war horse, or perhaps march in front of the head of his troops, but the donkey speaks of peace. And that day, Jesus rode in on a donkey. It was a triumphant entry. Jesus entered as a peaceful leader, ready to conquer sin and death that very week. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I want you to understand the setting because these people were expecting an incredible leader. If you're among the crowd and you're throwing your arms up in the air, and you're throwing palm branches out and you're singing Hosanna, which we just sang. You're welcoming a king. You're expecting a political leader. You're expecting a national leader that's going to come in and change things completely. Turn in your Bibles with me to John 12, please. John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring you one from the back. I want to encourage you to be in your Bible. Now, some of you probably have maybe your phone or an iPad or something. And that's fine. You got it on there. I encourage you sometime, get a hard copy. Write in, write in your Bible. Mark it up. Let people know um, what it is you've been reading. But more importantly, as you have conversation with God, as you are spending time opening up his word and reading it, and he speaks to you, write it down, what he, what he says to you, uh, what he urges you with. When my father passed away, the first thing the pastor did when he showed up at our house, he wanted to know if he could have my dad's Bible. And um, right away, my mom got the Bible around and gave it to the pastor. And he said, I like going through... Um, the Bibles of somebody who's passed away, and see how God spoke to them. And a couple of days later at the funeral, the pastor got up and goes, I was going through Layton's Bible, and 
And I want to read some of the passages that he underlined that really meant a lot to him. And it was, it was very special hearing that. The very next few months, four of, of my five siblings, each of them had a uh, parent pass away. So we had four more funerals within a few months. And three of those that passed away were from the same church as my dad. And so I went back to funeral after funeral after funeral, and every service was the same. The pastor got up and goes, I have Dorothy's Bible in front of me. I have Jim's Bible in front of me. And he'd open it up, and it was, it was incredible. And, and someday, uh, I have no idea how it will go down for me, but uh, I would like my Bible, if it's ever opened by anybody, to be able to say, Rex had a relationship with the God of this universe. Just look what God was saying to him and what he was saying back to God. I would encourage you to do the same. Be intimate with your Savior. Be intimate with the God of this universe. So here we are, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Let's begin there. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, or Hosanna. Again, Hebrew expression meaning, save us now. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. On that first Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode in on that donkey, he was certifying that he was the king coming, the promised one of Israel, come to save the people. However, they didn't fully understand what he meant by saving them. According to Matthew 27, 11, Pilate, the Roman governor, asked Jesus directly, he said this, he goes, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, yes, it's as you say it is. Jesus replied in, in John 18, 36, Jesus also told Pilate this, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Can't, can't like skim over that, okay? Be very careful to listen to what Jesus was saying this because his disciples completely missed it. They weren't paying attention. The people of Jesus' day, they missed it. The disciples, they missed it. Their hope was that he would free them from Roman tyranny. They was afraid that they thought that Jesus would save them from all the political garb that was going on, from the pain that they were experiencing. They, Jesus is going to change it all. He was, but not nationally or politically as they thought. He came to do more. He came to do more. Look at the person next to you and say, he does more. Go ahead and tell him, he does more. Okay. Because I'm telling you right now, we only limit God and what he can do. We limit his son, Jesus Christ, and what he can do. And he's come to do so much more. And these people just said, oh, he's just going to do something politically and nationally. Jesus said, no, I'm coming to do something universally, spiritually, beyond your understanding. He came to free them and from us, from not just the tyranny of a, of a different empire, but from sin, from death. 
thanks to the holy words of God, we know, because we were able to read, they're living it out moment by moment. We get to go back and read everything that happened. But thanks to God's word, we know it was just days later they rejected Jesus as king. These same people that threw the palm branches down their coats down and said, Hosanna, this is our king. Two days later, they are, three days later, they're looking for ways to kill him. Then they were yelling, crucify him. But in his death, he provided redemption for all of us, for all of us who would turn to him. The power of the resurrection and his eternal kingdom is going to be established. Well, Jesus now entered Jerusalem with this triumphant entry. Caught the attention of everybody, and I mean everybody. Especially the religious leaders, the ones who hated him the most. Weeks before this triumphant entry, as Pastor Land and myself have preached on Jesus being the resurrection life, Jesus being the bread of life, being the light of the world, being the good shepherd, the way, truth, and life, all these I am statements by Jesus Christ, I am equating himself with the God of this universe, and the religious leaders didn't like that. How dare you equate yourself with the God of this universe? You're just a man, they, they claimed. He claimed to be the Son of God. Religious leaders didn't like his claims. They didn't like it that everybody was in love with Jesus, that he was so popular. So their hatred grew. Something was about to happen. You could just sense it in this city. Things were going to happen, and it did. The triumphant entry led into an unforgettable week, which accumulated at that night when Jesus gathered his disciples for what we call the Last Supper, a celebration of the Passover. Let me ask you a question. If you could go back in time, think of a mistake that you made and erase it, what would that mistake be? If you could have a do-over, would you take it? What would it be? Was it a lie? Was it something you stole? Something you looked at? Angry words to a loved one? A trip to an abortion clinic? A flirtatious relationship? You ever wish for that do-over? You ever wish you could go back and say, never wanted that to happen and it could be erased? We can't go back, can we? So we get trapped by our guilt, by our shame. We know what we did was wrong. And our past haunts us. And sometimes we even continue to the point where we just do the same mistakes over and over again because we think, I'm trapped here. Why change it? This is the way it's going to be because I I just can't change it. Do you have the power to change? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Do I have the power to change? Do I have the power to change? Two of Jesus' disciples probably asked that question. Because that night, when they gathered together with Jesus in that upper room, after all they saw, that triumphant entry, here comes Jesus, they're all excited. A couple days of action going on, and then they gather in this room, A couple of disciples in that room are probably asking that question. I wonder if I can change something I've done. And if not yet, they will ask that question. 
On that night when they gathered to celebrate the Passover, both Judas and Peter made a choice that would forever change their life. How they responded to their choice and their consequences of their choice is what I want us to look at today. In your Bibles, you're in John chapter 12, right? Turn one chapter over to 13. John chapter 13. Just days earlier, Jesus made that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Disciples Disciples are now gathered in this upper room. They're reclining around the table. Their feet stink. There was no servant in the, when they first entered the room. The, the water basin and towel just sat there with no servant. They all walked right by. And they lounged and reclined and talked about who's the greatest disciple. Oh, they all started to have that conversation about who's the greatest, right? You sort of sit there and you have to ask that question. Like, are you, are you kidding me? You're a Jesus Christ. And you're arguing about who's the greatest? Jesus, you have to wonder, was he in the room first? Did he come in later? Did he walk in and he look at his disciples all sitting there reclining, arguing about who's the greatest? And he looks at the water basin and the towel and he looks at them and he thinks, do they not get it? And so he takes the towel and he removes his outer garment and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. And he takes that servant role, showing them that the greatest knows how to serve. It's that moment Peter declared his allegiance to Jesus, and it was a great proclamation. Because he's like, no, not just my feet, my whole body, wash everything. You got all of me, Jesus, right? Remember that? But let's go back to Judas in that moment, in that story. John chapter 13, let's start in verse 1. Before the Passover celebration... Jesus knew his hour had come to leave his world and return to his Father. Jesus loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that they had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into the basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Think about this. Jesus humbly took on the servant's role, showing the full extent of his love. Not saying, guys, stop arguing. Instead, he just, guys, I love you. I can't believe you're arguing, but I'm just going to show you my love right now. The emotions started to grow in that room. Let's move forward to verse 21. Verse 21, John chapter 13. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. Remember, this is just after he washed their feet, knowing every single thing about his disciples. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other wondering, whom could he mean? Just picture this, okay? The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask, hey, who's he talking about? So that disciple being John leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to 
Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan had entered him and Jesus told him, hurry, do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought, well, Jesus is telling them to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going into the night, going into the darkness, always equated with evil. Jesus knew exactly, I'm sorry, Jesus in that moment knew exactly what was going to happen. He still washed the feet of his disciples. He still washed the feet of Judas, the one who was going to betray him. But in that moment, Judas continued his dark path of making bad choices. Skim down now to verse 36. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? He had been talking about where he is going. And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, referring to his resurrection, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. Can you imagine what Peter's feeling at that moment? I just declared my allegiance to you. I told you to wash all of me. Why would I deny you three times? It was in that moment when Peter declared his allegiance to the Lord that that great proclamation, he, you have to think back to what just happened with Judas. In, in just a few minutes, Jesus is looking at one who's going to betray him and one who's going to deny him. Both of these men were going to make decisions on their own, thinking that they were doing the right thing in the moment. But let's go back to Judas. Why would he betray Jesus? I don't know if you've ever asked that question before. After you've seen everything that Jesus has done, walking with him three years, seen his ministry, seen his love, his compassion, his miracles, why betray him? Was it the craving for power, respect, or money? Maybe three years after sleeping on the ground, not a bed, not having a lot of money, this guy isn't going to be a king. Look how we've been living. Maybe in that moment when he saw Jesus come in on that donkey and he thought, here's the king, but then the next day he's like, no, things haven't changed. Things are never going to change with Jesus. Maybe his greed and his power, his lust for power, maybe that's what drove him over the edge. In John chapter 12, prior to what we've been reading here, okay, prior to the story in the upper room, the disciples were together in a different place. This time, Mary comes in and she pours this expensive perfume. I mean worth hundreds and thousands of dollars. Okay, he just pours this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus and she wipes, uses her hair and wipes his feet and it's, it's an incredible act of devotion to Jesus Christ. And Judas speaks up. Let me read this to you from John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold. Money given to the poor, which he wouldn't have done. Now that he 
cared, not that he cared for the poor, it says, because he was a thief. He was in charge of the disciples' money, and he often stole some from himself. Now, as I was studying this, some of the chronologies of Judas said it was he went out that very next day after that incident. He went out the very next day, made his bargain with the religious leaders to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. As one theologian said, the impression left is that Judas, seeing one source of personal enrichment lost, hastened to create another. Why would Judas do this? Why would he make a deal? You know, we don't know why. We just know that he did. We just know that he did. We don't know his heart. Just like if we were to look around this room this morning and look into the heart of other people, we don't know why the people sitting around this room today make the choices they make. God knows your heart, but we don't know each other's heart. I don't know Judas's heart here, but I know this, it wasn't lined up with Jesus. Fast forward a few hours to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows that he needs to connect with his Heavenly Father. He knows what's coming. He knows the pain. He knows the sacrifice. Jesus walks into the garden and he predicts his disciples' actions of running away. He wants them to pray at them, but he knows they're going to scatter. Peter says, oh, we'll never do that. Jesus is like, yes, you are. And you're going to deny me three times too, remember Peter? Two of Jesus' friends are about ready to do something that he would never believe would happen in the next couple minutes, in the next few hours. The betrayal and the denial. Jesus went on further to pray with Peter, James, and John. The other disciples remained at one place. They went a little bit further into the garden and prayed. And as he prayed, he said this, My soul is crushed to grief, Jesus said. He went to pray, and in his, in his prayer, he prayed for strength to drink of the cup. If you remember last year's Easter service, we talked about that. But what he was about to do was to take on the sins of the world. We can't even imagine that. The sins that were committed in the past, the sins that are committed today, the sins that are committed in the future. Jesus died for those. He tasted every single one of them. He knew it was coming. And he said, if there's any other way, but your will be done, God. And as he prayed, he prayed with such intensity that this physical condition called hematidrosis, which is basically the blood vessels burst and you sweat blood, took place. The intensity and the stress and the pressure of his prayers for God to take that pain away, but yet he knew he had to take the pain for us. As he finished praying in the intensity of those moments, he went back to his disciples, sleeping. They couldn't even stay awake. And there in the garden, as he arouses his disciples and they get up and he says, it's time Judas comes forward with an arresting army. And he comes forward and he gives Jesus a kiss of betrayal. And they go to arrest him. And the disciples get all crazy and a little skirmish breaks out. And Peter grabs a sword and whacks off the ear of one of the servants. And Jesus puts a halt to everything. He picks up the ear and he heals the man, puts the ear back on him. And you think after all of this, they would believe that he's the son of God. But no. And it was in that moment then the disciples scattered and they ran. 
Peter follows from a distance, though, as Jesus is taken away. And he's taken to be put on trial. And while he's on trial, Peter's off to the side. People come up to Peter. Don't you know him? Never heard of him. Don't know who this Jesus is. And then again, another person approaches. And a third person approaches. Each time denying Jesus, denying Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. And it hit Peter. He had just denied his Savior. Judas, the same thing happened to him. As soon as he realized what he had done, it hit him as well. Imagine what Peter's thinking. Imagine what Judas is thinking. It's a defining moment, a time when you become something you thought you would never become. I can't believe I just committed that sin. I would never do that sin. I, 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 would, I can't believe I've gone that distance away from my Savior that I would commit this. That's where Peter was. That's where Judas was. That's where some of us have been multiple times. And Judas tried to undo his action, but it didn't work. You know, here's the thing. You can't undo what you've already done. Once we sin, we have sinned. We can't erase that ourselves. Can't undo it. Can't undo it. For Judas, what was he going to go? Where does he go from here? For Peter, where does he go from here? For us, where do we go from here when we make these mistakes? For Judas, it was guilt. It was shame. It was darkness. It was remorse. And when you feel remorse... It keeps you in darkness, and he took his life. For Peter, Peter felt horrible as well. He felt guilt and shame. He felt regret instead of remorse, and he repented. He asked for forgiveness. He decided to turn away from his sin and turn to God. That was all the difference. Repentance always produces change. Peter later told those in his first sermon, after Jesus resurrected from the dead and the disciples were told to go and wait for Jesus, for his, for his spirit to come. Spirit came upon the disciples. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Everybody thought they were drunk and crazy. It's like, no, we're just filled with the Spirit. And Peter gave his first sermon, and in his first sermon he told people, you know, they're like, what do we have to do to change? He goes, Repent. You feeling bad about your actions? Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. The difference between these two men, Judas and Peter, they were both sorry, but one repented and the other did not. When you need to make changes in your life, here's the deal. A lot of times we feel paralyzed, like we can't make a change. Or we wonder, what do we do to make the change? Sometimes we wonder, have I really been forgiven? I've asked for forgiveness, but I don't know if I've really been forgiven. Because I don't know if I feel it. Let me remind you that feelings are not always truth. You can be forgiven. The truth that Jesus died, rose again to defeat sin and death, to give us forgiveness, eternal life, is greater than a feeling. It's greater than a feeling. Let's go back to the triumphant entry. The triumphant entry was Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Why? Because he was about ready to free mankind from sin and death. The king is coming. 
to free us from sin and death. And he made that triumphant entry. The greatest entry, though, is when he triumphantly rides into your heart. He never rode into the heart of Judas, but he did for Peter. So church, I want to ask you this question this morning. We can't go back and undo the things we've done in our life, but we can invite one, one and only one Savior, Jesus Christ, into our life, to make a triumphant entry into our life, to forgive us, to change us moving forward. Can't undo the past, but you can be forgiven of your past. Have you been forgiven? Are you wrestling with something right now that you've not even forgiven yourself of, but God's forgiven you? Is He the King of your heart? Is He your Savior? Would you please stand? We're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and you're a mighty God, an incredible God. And Lord, we're about ready to take communion. But before we do, our hearts need to be right with you. Because as the disciples broke bread with you, they were arguing before they ever took the bread and took the cup. God, we're going to come right now before you and pray before we take communion. And we're going to admit that we're not in charge. We're going to admit that we're not the greatest. We're going to admit that we can't do life without you. We're going to admit that we are sinners. We're going to admit that we mess up and we make mistakes every day. God, we're going to admit that we need you. We need you to triumphantly ride into our lives. Just as you rode into Jerusalem. A lot of people were confused thinking you came to save a nation, be a political leader. You came to save us from sin and death. We get that now. God, we ask for that now. That you save us. So we stand now to pray, God, admitting all these things and asking you to come into our lives. To forgive us of our sins. Right now where we're standing, if we need to confess something, right where we're standing, we're going to confess it to you. We'll pray silently to you, God. So just pray right now. Just go ahead and ask God for forgiveness. Whatever it is, just pray silently to him. God, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. God, as we get ready to take this this communion, this bread, and this juice, we know what it symbolizes. We don't want to take it lightly. We understand the importance of this. God, thank you that we can celebrate this today in honor of you. In the name we pray, amen.